Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So a high school football coach sent out some of his other coaches to do some recruiting. Before they went out, they asked the head coach, they said, hey, what kind of guys are you really looking for? The head coach said, well, you know, that guy that gets knocked down and gets back up, that's not who we're looking for. The guy who gets knocked down and gets back up, gets knocked down and gets back up, he's not who we're looking for. The guy that gets knocked down, gets up, gets knocked down, gets up, keeps getting knocked down and just keeps getting back up. By that time, one of the other coaches said, hey, so that's the guy who we're looking for. Head coach said, no, we're looking for the guy who keeps knocking everybody down. (laughs) Well, I want to remind you this morning that we are not on a cruise ship or a fishing boat. We're on a battleship. The battle is fierce, and the enemy desires not only to knock us down, but, beloved, the enemy desires to devour us. The Bible tells us that Satan walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're in a battle, a very real and serious spiritual battle. You know this time of year, and especially on this day, and activities leading up to this day, that evil spirits, demons, and all those kind of things seem to take precedence. As a matter of fact, I believe that we tend to play with evil rather than to pray against it. I think we use these things as a source of entertainment. I want to remind you that this is not playtime, this is wartime. We are confronting spiritual darkness in our country and around the world like never before. Did you know that Christians are being persecuted like never, ever before, ever been recorded in history? Truth is under an all-out attack. The church is under assault. While I am attempting to help you understand the reality and the urgency of spiritual darkness, I want you to be fully aware that nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, can stop the church or steal Jesus' glory. The Apostle Paul has come into Ephesus, and he's in the midst of intense spiritual darkness, and he's fighting in the name of Jesus Christ. So I wonder right now, would you join Paul in this activity when he's beginning to confront spiritual darkness found in the book of Acts chapter 19? You've got a copy of God's Word, turn it to Acts chapter 19, and we'll begin looking there. We'll pick up in verse 17, and we're going to look at three truths about the glory of Jesus in the midst of spiritual darkness. I'm going to begin reading in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. Would you stand to your feet with me? as we read from the Bible. 
One thing I do want you to know, and I want to take the time to do this for you, is listen to me very carefully, church. If you were here this morning and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I want you to know that we have copies of God's Word, that we have just had a new shipment come in this week. And if you would like one of them, Pastor Justin, whom you saw doing the announcements, he'll be glad to talk to you after the service and we can get you one of those Bibles. And they're not like the ones in the seat pockets underneath you. They're different because some people don't want to take that because they, they, they just get weird about taking stuff. So we just wanted you to know that we have copies to give to you. If you need one, we would love, it would be our blessing to bless you with God's Word. In the book of Acts, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says these words. God was performing what, church? Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And watch this, church. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Hey, would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I pray that at your name, just the mention of your name today, that the darkness would flee. I pray, God, a special anointing, not only over me, but over my brother Kyle as he interprets this morning. I ask you, Father, to help him interpret in a way that those to whom he's ministering to could fully understand and grasp the Word of God. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that your name would be magnified. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, the shadows are turned into light. Death is turned into life. Bondage is turned into freedom. And spiritual darkness is turned into, yes, yes indeed, marvelous light. You see, this text is going to help us understand what happens when spiritual darkness and Satan's demons confront the glory of the king and the kingdom of God. Here's the first thing. The glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be swindled by spiritual darkness. The glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be swindled by spiritual darkness. As we read that part of the text, you need to understand that there are some who would try to swindle the glory of the kingdom and use it for their own glory. It usually happens when they see God doing something 
And then they want that glory for themselves. And so we see, first of all, there is exceptional deliverance. Exceptional deliverance. Verses 11 and 12a say this way, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. Diseases left them and evil, the evil spirits went out. You see, Paul was a craftsman, and he made leather, and he, he made tents out of that leather. He wore this kind of handkerchief around his head to keep the sweat from getting in his eyes. You and I do that today. We call it more like a bandana. He also wore an apron around his waist to protect his legs. So the people would take those items that had been on Paul's body and take them to the sick people, and the diseases left them. Somebody would ask, what diseases? Any disease. And I'm here to tell you today, let me just say this, and I need, I need you to help me preach a little bit this morning. But I'm here to let you know that there's no disease my God can't cure. Amen. Can I get a witness right there? That, that's, good stuff. that's worth saying amen to. That's, there's deliverance from sickness because of Jesus. But then, it's not only just sickness and disease, but it's also demons. Because he said the diseases left them, and then the evil spirits went out. Evil demonic spirits would have to leave when coming into contact with just something the apostle had wore. You see, when the kingdom of God shows up, the demons have to flee. Think about it. Just think about this just for a moment, how powerful the name of Jesus is. Just a man claiming the name of Jesus in love with Jesus, just his handkerchief and his apron was enough to make the demons flee. God was doing extraordinary miracles. Verse 11 says that. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles. The Greek word there, extraordinary, means what you would think it means. It means something that didn't just always happen. These weren't just normal miracles. These were extraordinary miracles. God was doing something that he ordinarily didn't do. God had been the God of miracles in the Old Testament. Now God was doing extraordinary miracles to prove and to validate the message of the Apostle Paul that Jesus was the Son of God. He was preaching Jesus, the deliverance from sin, that the Son of God would save any and all who would claim His name, that the kingdom of God was at hand. Spiritual darkness cannot stand for Jesus to get the glory. So after there's an exceptional deliverance, there is now, there's evil deception. There's evil deception because in verses 13 through 16, we read about these Jewish exorcists who try to pronounce the name of Jesus and they end up getting whooped. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to call on the name of Jesus whom they did not know. They were itinerant. This means they were going from place to place. They were more like our word vagabonds. And they were out there trying to swindle people. They were what I call, they were religious scam artists. You see them on TV all the time. Here's a freebie. Can I just give you something free? We don't even have to take up another offering. Listen here. Don't send your money to these kind of people. You know the ones that are on TV and they're out there selling this anointed prayer cloth or this holy water. That, that, listen to me. That's evil deception. These swindlers see what's happening and they say, hey, you know, hey, whatever Paul is doing, I mean, we don't know this Jesus he's talking about, but when he says the name of Jesus, things happen. Let's just try that. 
So they would find someone who was demon-possessed, and they started using the name of Jesus to try to cast out the demons. They'd say, I tell you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him as the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't know Jesus at all. So in verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, I recognize Jesus. That word means to know by experience. These demons knew who Jesus was by flat out experience. The demons knew who Jesus was and they trembled at Jesus. The demons knew about the miracle of his birth and they tried to kill him. The demons knew about the holiness of the sinlessness of his life and they tempted him in every way. The demons knew of the agony of his sacrificial death so Satan even entered Judas to betray him. The demons knew of the glory of the resurrection. They tried to prevent him from even coming out of the tomb. The demons said, Jesus, Jesus, I know Jesus. And Paul, I know him. That word there means to know by observation. I've seen Paul. I've observed Paul casting out my fellow demons. I know about Paul. I've seen him, and I know that guy. I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who, who are you? Verse 16, the Bible says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all them and overpowered them, and they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, these swindlers were exposed not by Paul or the other disciples, but they were exposed even by darkness itself. Here's what you need to understand. Even Satan won't let others swindle the glory of Jesus that he wants for himself. This is truly what spiritual darkness is and does. Spiritual darkness woos you in and then turns on you as soon as you get in. So there's this exceptional deliverance that brings much attention, and the darkness desires it. This is evil deception to try and swindle the glory of Jesus, but, but Jesus won't allow his glory to be swindled because look what happens next. Just when Satan and the demons thought they would get the glory, now there's an elevation of deity. There's an elevation of deity. You see, the glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be swindled by spiritual darkness. Jesus will not allow humans to take it upon themselves to use his glory however they want to use it. The glory and power of Jesus are not commodities to use as we please. Verse 17, the Bible says, And this became known to all, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. You see, when Jesus confronts spiritual darkness, his name is made bigger. Now, in a certain sense, you could argue that you can't make the name of Jesus bigger than it is. If you took a magnifying glass and you put it upon something, it doesn't make the object bigger. It just makes what the object is more apparent and shows you what's really there. When these swindlers and spiritual demons are trying to swindle the glory of the kingdom, God puts the magnifying glass on Jesus and we begin to see him for who he really is. Everyone and everything else is exposed by the light of the Messiah. Several years ago, I had, like some of you, my identity stolen. And as I was working through all the things that you have to do, one of the people that I was working with, they told me, here's something you need to do. They told me, 
to never sign the back of my credit cards or my bank card with my signature. They told me, here's what you need to do. C-I-D. That's what you write there. You don't sign your name. You say C-I-D. And they told me that this is what's supposed to happen when you use a card of any kind, that the person at the store or wherever you're going is supposed to ask to see your ID when you're using for a card. The ID has to match the name on the card. That way, if there's no match, the card cannot be used and your money can't be swindled. They're on to something. You see, when the enemy tries to swindle the glory of God and the kingdom of God, God asks for an ID. <laughs> and if that ID is none other than the Lord Jesus, access is denied, church. The glory belongs to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Did you know that Isaiah 42.8 says it this way? I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. But you know as well as I know that sometimes people try to use the name of Jesus for their own glory and their own purposes. Some people pray really loud and really long because they want people to think that they're more spiritual than they're really interested in worshiping the Lord. Some people go to church just to pick up guys or to pick up girls. They go to church not for Jesus' glory, but for their own. Sometimes it's really subtle. It's like when you pray to God to help you pass a test that you haven't studied for. Are you wanting your own glory or do you want God's glory when you pass that test? We want to use his power and his name for our glory. Some people do it in different ways. Sometimes people say that their Jesus would never be against this lifestyle or that lifestyle. So they're using the name of Jesus to propagate their own values that are totally against his kingdom. Here's a word. We say it all the time, don't mess with Texas. Brothers, can I say something else? You don't mess with the name of Jesus. You just don't mess with his name. We don't mess with the glory of Jesus. We magnify the name of Jesus. The glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be swindled by spiritual darkness. Here's something else. The glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be superseded by spiritual darkness. When Jesus comes in, the darkness has to go. Jesus, listen to me, will not share space with anything else. There's no second place. It's either Jesus and Jesus alone, or it's not Jesus at all. Because what I want to tell you is, is that the gospel brings rebirth. The gospel brings rebirth. In verse 18, the Bible says this, Many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. That's how we would normally read it. But I want you to slow down and watch what's happening. It says there that many of those who had believed, let's, let's focus on that. As a result of magnifying Jesus, people believed, but what did they believe in? Or whom did they believe? They believed, listen to me, this is incredibly important for you to listen to. I've been out going door to door on Wednesday nights with a couple other men, and I want to tell you, in this community, we don't know the true gospel. So listen to me. I need you to hear this. What did they believe? They believed that Jesus was the sacrifice and the only sacrifice for their sins. They believed that the Son of God, Jesus, was given 
for, the, for their sins on the cross. They believed that the Messiah had died in their place, that he was buried to cover their sin, that he was raised to give them new and eternal life. They were convicted of their sin. They knew they needed mercy and forgiveness of God. They placed their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that alone for the forgiveness of their sin. They were saved from the wrath and judgment on God on their sin by trusting that Jesus had taken it for them. They asked the Lord to forgive them, to come into them and make them alive in Jesus. They believed in that. That's the gospel that they believed in. And as a result, they passed from darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. They were made alive because the gospel, the gospel brings rebirth. John chapter 5 verse 24 says it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and has not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Let me ask you very, very boldly, unapologetically, let me ask you this morning, is that what you believe? And have you ever put your faith in that gospel? Because if not, beloved, I need you to know today that you are still in the kingdom of darkness. But God does not want you to stay there. He wants to bring his light into your life today because the gospel will bring rebirth. But then I want you to notice something else. The gospel brings repentance. Verses 18 and 19, many of those who believed kept coming and they were confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic, I'm in verse 19, brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. You see, when we come to Christ, we open up the hidden things in our life. We agree that sin is sin. We confess our sin to Christ. We turn from that sin. That's what repentance means. It's a change in my mind after hearing the word of God that leads to a change in my heart that leads to a change in my life. These people had been much into spiritual darkness. They were into what is often called black magic. They brought those books that contained the spells by which they would use to curse people and they burned them in the sight of everyone. They no longer wanted to be attached to sin, and they didn't want anybody else to get their hands on it either. And on this Halloween day, can I tell you that if you're in Christ, you're not to be in that stuff either? The Bible explicitly forbids using mediums, using horoscopes, going to palm readers, using tarot cards, consulting psychics, contacting the dead, using Ouija boards, having seances. Should I go on and on? Well, these are not playthings. You have to understand that. These are things that God's word condemns because it's a gateway for the enemy to get into your life. I would go as far as to say this. Listen to me. This is not what the Bible says. This is what Steve Brown says. You have to understand the difference. 
But as your pastor, I would give you some spiritual advice that I wouldn't be watching movies with those things in it either. I wouldn't be allowing myself to have any, open any door for the enemy to get into my life. Now listen to me. If there's a sinful practice and you're going to turn from it, it's going to cost you. The Bible says there that they brought all those books and they burned them and they counted it up and they found out that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. Let me help you understand what that means. That's 135 years of a worker's wage in that day. They were in this stuff big time. There is no cost, listen to me, there is no cost too high to repent. Sometimes it means getting rid of things that we paid big money for. Sometimes it's going to mean students missing out on things that others get to do because you are constantly repenting before God. Sometimes it means that I have to give up things. Repentance is always costly, but it's always worth it. They understood that the gospel of Jesus cannot be superseded by spiritual darkness. Listen to me. Christ comes in and he moves in. He's not there as a guest. He came to take over the home. He doesn't just live in the house. He completely has taken ownership. He is the Lord of all. There is no second place with Jesus in your life. You see, they came to Christ and they got rid of the things that didn't please him. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be superseded by spiritual darkness. When Jesus comes in, he's the light of the world, and that light shines on the darkness in our life, and it has to flee. Light doesn't get together with darkness and try to figure out what we have in common. Light doesn't enter into dialogue with darkness and just flirt with it. When Jesus turns on the light, the darkness has to flee. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And I share with you something that may render your heart a little tender. Some of you are here this morning and some of you within the sound of my voice driving down Highway 71. Some of you are looking right now on Facebook Live and you're probably in your pajamas with a cup of coffee. Let me ask you to pay attention. Some of you here this morning may have wandered far from God and you're saved, but you just don't feel like it. See, here's the truth. You can be saved and not feel like it. But you want to know why you would feel that way? It's because you're not living like it. The gospel of the kingdom of God will not be superseded by the sin in your life. Some of here, you're struggling. You're just saying, I don't know if I'm saved. I just don't know. I'm, I'm kind of unassured. See, there comes a time in your life when you bring it all to Jesus and you throw it all in the bonfire of repentance and you just set it on fire. You have to stop trying to mix darkness and light. You have to stop trying to do spiritual light and spiritual darkness. It cannot happen in the life of a believer. Can I tell you today, there's some here today who need to get rid of your music. You need to take it and put it in the bonfire of repentance. Some here today, alcohol has gotten way out of control in your life and you need to just pour it out before it takes complete control. Some of the movies that we're watching, some of the language that we're using, 
Listen to me. I'm your pastor, and I see what some of our own people use as language on the Internet, and it blows my mind. We need to have language that's pure. The books that we read, the places that we go, the activities that we're involved in, Jesus says spiritual darkness cannot share space with spiritual light. There may be some who need to get rid of some substances today. You need to get rid of some subscriptions today, or maybe you need to get rid of some streaming devices altogether. But Dr. Brown, that's going to be expensive. Repentance will cost you, but it's going to cost you more if you don't. I'm wanting you to see something. Listen, am I fixing to get serious? This is where, where y'all get nervous. Because <laughs> you don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'm just going to go to the book. That's, that's what I do. If you say that you are a believer and the gospel isn't producing ongoing repentance in your life and sin is dominating your life, you are not a believer. 1 John chapter 5, 18 says it this way. We know, not guess, not up for debate, we know that no one who has been born of God sins. But he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, before you get crazy, let me tell you what that really means. That word there, sins, is in a tense that means this, means habitually over and over and over and over. So if I claim that I've come to Christ and I continue to sin over and over and over without repenting, then I am not saved. Because if I am truly belong to Jesus, I will not continually, willfully, knowingly, and unrepentantly continue in sin. I will stumble in sin, but I won't stay in it. Are you with me? I'm going to sin. But when I sin, I confess it and I forsake it. And it may come up again a week later, but every single time I will repent. Because darkness can't share space with light. If I am saved, I will be aware of sin and I will want to confess and want to forsake it. If I am saved, I will never say this. That's just who I am. Maybe who you used to be. But in Jesus, you're a new creation. If you're a believer, you want to say, well, God's just going to overlook it because he knows my struggle. That's not what a saved person says. If you haven't been paying attention, zoning right here, my little blue eyes. What a tragedy it would be for you to think that you have something that you do not have and spend a lifetime in this church, but end up spending a lifetime in hell. What a tragedy. Because Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. But the glory of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be superseded or swindled by spiritual darkness. last thing, I'll leave you very quickly. The growth of the kingdom of Jesus cannot be stopped by spiritual darkness. 
It cannot be stopped. Verse 21, Paul says these words. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Luke says these words. He says, now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. You see, Paul planned to go to Macedonia, then Achaia, and then Jerusalem, and then Rome. And what was he doing? Continuing to preach the message of the kingdom of God over and over again. But then in verse 23, the Bible says, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, the way of Christ. For a man, Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Artemis, who was bringing no little business to the craftsmen, these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will fall in dispute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. You see, in Ephesus, there was this temple to Diana or Artemis, and she was a, she was a goddess of things that adults do when they're married. Her temple was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And there was this man named Demetrius, and he made a living making little replicas, little idols that you could take home of Diana. And he tried to bring the growth of the kingdom that Paul was preaching. He tried to stop it. This tells me something. It tells me this, that those who prosper from sin will be the ones to try to stop the growth of the kingdom. Those who are they're prospering from sin are going to be the first ones to try to stop what's happening. We live in a nation, listen to me, church, you know this. I don't have time to go into it. But we live in a nation right now that not only tolerates sin, but now allows it. Let's go even further. Not only do we allow it, but now we even celebrate it. I know I'm going to offend some people here, but that's not my heart. But I'm telling you, God has a way, and it's the only way. But I'm going to tell you, for the first time in history, you may have seen it this week, a male was voted homecoming queen in the state of Missouri. And you know what the student body did? They went crazy. Let me tell you something. We tolerate it, and then we allow it, and now we're celebrating. That's exactly what Demetrius is doing. He may not have and didn't have to even worship Diana. He, he didn't even have the power or know the power to believe in her power, but he was making a living from those who did. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture. Our media and our people know that this stuff is wrong. They know that it's crazy, but it gets ratings, and therefore it gets money. And therefore, if you and I are going to step out and stand against it, they will try to stop us because that's what they're doing. They're prospering off of sin. Well, let me tell you something. In verse 25 and 26, when they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one another into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. There are people who sell sin, and they're going to say these things to you, but you know this is how I make my money. Again, I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to tell you where to stand on this issue. I'm just making the comment. The alcohol business, that's what they do. They want you to get drunk. They want you to get addicted. You know why? Because they're making a profit off of it. The tobacco industry, the same thing. Let's just sell this to them. This is how we make our money. The movie and entertainment industry. They want to continue to objectify women and men. The casinos and the lotteries take advantage of people's greed, take advantage of people's hard-earned income, and try to make them this luring promise that you can get rich. By the meantime, you just keep throwing money away and being an unwise steward. But they make, that's how we make our living. The video industry that continues to show sinful things, it gets worse. Because now there are not only certain sins that we, do, that we know are wrong, we decide to favor and protect certain sins. Now, now you can't speak out even in your workplace against certain sins because now sin is only celebrated. Now it's protected. Verse 27, the Bible says, not only in the danger of this trade of ours, it falls in dispute, but now our, 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 our God, our goddess is going to be considered worthless. And she's going to be dethroned of her magnificence. Nevertheless, Demetrius knew that those who followed Christ were teaching people to repent of such nonsense. So something had to be done about it. So those who were prospering from sin started to do something about it. That leads me to the next point, that now not only those who prosper from sin try to stop the growth, but those who persecute the saints try to stop the growth of the kingdom. It moves from prospering in sin, now I'm going to persecute those who are against sin. Verse 28 and 29 they were filled, they dragged these people into this, this place, into this theater, and they just start persecuting them. Satan, the demons, and sinners turn up the heat on those, follow, those who follow Jesus. I'm going to say it because it needs to be said, but I need to know, if you struggle with this, what I'm about ready to say, I want you to know that there's grace and there's love. You don't have to be what, what you think you are. There's grace for you, but I'm here today to tell you that if you take a stand against the LBGTQ movement, you will be dealt with swiftly and accordingly and labeled a bigness. You'll be filled with hate speech. You'll probably lose your job. And that's just one of the many ways in our culture now, if you stand up, and you're not only profiting from this nonsense, you begin to persecute others who stand up against you. You see, the more we share the gospel and the more we're to tell people that they repent of their sin and turn to Jesus and Jesus alone, the more you will be persecuted. The goal is to stop the growth of the kingdom of God. That's why in Haiti right now, there's a leader who there, a big gang boss, who's, who's captured and taken hostage 17 Christians, and he wants $1 million per each hostage. Why? Because those who are prospering in sin will continue to do so until somebody comes with a message that says you need to turn from your sin. And now we begin to persecute them. Spiritual demons and darkness want to stop the growth of the kingdom. But here's the truth, church. The more you try to stop it, the bigger it gets. So if those who prosper from sin can't stop the kingdom by persecution, there's one more thing that they begin to do, and that's lastly this. Those who pacify sinners try to stop the growth of the kingdom. See, there's mass confusion, and all this chanting goes on for a long time. And the Bible tells us they don't even know what they're there for. So one man, Alexander, speaks up and he says, verse 35, he says, after quieting the, the crowd, the, the town clerk said, men of Ephesus, 
What man is there who, who does all this and, and not know that the city of Ephesians is guarded of the temple of the great Artemis and the image which fell down from heaven? I mean, isn't there anybody who, there's nobody that doesn't know this. Verse 36, so since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and just do nothing rash. <laughs> In other words, he tries to end this riot. Basically, he said this, listen to me. We don't have to fight against those Christians. We know what the truth is. They'll just die off. Some people in the culture try to pacify people and say this. Don't worry about the Christians and don't worry about that gospel. We know that it's just going to fade over time. But you know this, the more you try to discount the gospel, the more it continues just to make sense. Because in verse 1 of chapter 20, after the uproar had ceased, did you hear that? <laughs> There's an uproar, and now the uproar had ceased. And it says, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. Listen to him. Here's the cool thing. <laughs> Instead of the gospel ceasing, the uproar did. <laughs> Instead of the gospel ceasing, culture that's against the gospel ceases. Paul just kept going forward with the glory of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom. Demetrius, listen to me, Demetrius met his sad destiny and so did Ephesus. You can go to Ephesus today, and it is a city in ruins. But when the kingdom of God comes, it is alive and it's well, and it cannot be stopped. Jesus said these words in Matthew 16. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, his confession, not Peter, his confession, I will build my church. And what does it say, church? And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Do you believe that today? Now let me go to Medlin. Some of us here in Texas, some of us here in LaGrange, and some of us right here at First Baptist Church mistakenly believe that America won't be stopped. Can I just remind you that Jesus didn't say America will last. He promised that his church would. And I just tell you today, you cannot look to a vote to save this country. You cannot look to the Supreme Court to save this country. It's important. And we should be involved, but I'm telling you, we can't look to that to save this country. It doesn't work. It never has. We've been trying it for years. So God didn't promise to make America last. The culture is turning. The American church is under attack, and it'll continue to be so for a long time. What we need to do is get back to the gospel and not politics. We keep need to be faithful with the gospel and continue to build the kingdom of Jesus. Whether America stands or falls should not be your primary concern. You should be about the gospel of the kingdom. The glory of Jesus cannot be swindled. It cannot be superseded, and it cannot be stopped by spiritual darkness. Oscar, would you come? Let me help you with something today. In John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said to them, pay attention very closely to this, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Now, now watch what he says. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. 
He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Let me help you with something. According to the Bible, all you have to do for darkness to overtake you is just stop walking in the light. You do not have to get off into some deep sin. You don't have to get involved with the occult or things that are evil. All you have to do for darkness to overcome you is to stop walking in the light. There are three things that we know of at least that are mentioned as light in the book. In this book, Jesus said that he is the light of the world. So all you've got to do for darkness to overtake you is just to stop hanging out with Jesus. That's all you've got to do. This book also tells me that this book is the light of the world and a lamp, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So listen to me. For darkness to overtake you, all you have to do is just get out of this book. And then Jesus says that you and I are the light of the world. So all I have to do for darkness to overtake me is just to stop hanging out with the people of God. So you stop hanging out with Jesus, stop hanging out in his word, and start coming to church, guess what? Darkness has already overtaken you. That's all we've got to do. So I wonder today, is Jesus calling you back to just himself, his word, and his people? Or maybe you have some things that you need to put in the fire of repentance today. Maybe the Lord Jesus has, has convicted you by his spirit of some sinful things in your life. And today, you need, to, you need to make that right with him. You need to come before him broken and saying, God, here it is. I know it's going to cost me. But it's going to cost me more if I don't. And right now, I know that in this moment, there's a spiritual battle going on for somebody's soul. Satan and his demons absolutely hate you and they're trying to deceive you right now that what I'm saying is not true. They're trying to distract you right now. They're trying to get you to think about lunch. They're trying to destroy you right now and you don't even know it. But right now in this room, I believe that this gospel is for somebody today. You're here right now and you're struggling. You're nervous. You don't know why your palms are starting to sweat. You don't know what's going to happen, but there's something happening inside of your spirit right now and you, don't, you can't really explain it. You're not really sure if what I'm saying is true, but you're, you're contemplating it. And I want you to know, listen to me, listen to me very clear. The Bible says that today is a day of salvation. The gospel is not a tomorrow salvation because we're not promised tomorrow. The gospel is a today salvation. Can I ask you right now that if you have never given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus, you've never believed and his death, burial, and resurrection for your sin. You've never turned from your sin and trusted Jesus. Can I ask you to do it today? So I'm going to pray right now. And if you need the Lord Jesus, maybe for the first time, if you want to make absolutely sure that you know him, can I ask you to pray with me from your heart, not from your head, but from your heart. Something like this. If this is you and you want to receive Christ, would you pray with me? Something like this. Pray it from your heart. Mean it from your heart. Would you pray something like this? Jesus, today I come 
And I confess to you that I have sinned against you. And I am sorry for my sin. And I want to turn from my sin with all that I am. I believe that you died to pay for my sin. I believe that the judgment of God that was meant for me, that Jesus took for me, that he was buried to cover my sins, to be remembered no more, and that Jesus was raised to give me eternal life and forgiveness with God. Would you please save me from my sin and be my Savior? Thank you. Thank you for saving me. I praise you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand?